You know what that sound means, right? That means this week is the opening of Rise of Skywalker. Mr. Castagna, I'm pretty excited. How about you? I'm very excited. I have yeah. tickets for Thursday night. I'm <sighs> taking my little girl. She's eight years old. About She's time. very excited. That's right. S- uh, six o'clock. We're going to go check it out. Have you watched the whole thing with her? I mean, every movie? Yes. No. Um, okay. I, as you'll hear in this episode, and I may have expressed on the podcast before, I am not a fan of the prequels. Okay. Uh, she has seen most of the original trilogy. She has seen Force Awakens. Uh, she sat out Last Jedi. It was kind of intense. I didn't know if she'd like it. Okay. Uh, but we're really excited to go and see how this epic movie journey ends. Yes. I'm excited to see how it all ties together at the end. I'm really excited. A lot some of, of us out there. Some of us have been waiting 40 years. Seriously. For this. N- not me. Not 40 no, years. Not 40 no, years. Not He's 40 not years. the uh, senior citizen no. of the week, as you heard no. on the announcements. Um, I wasn't conscious of Star Wars for the first 10, so it really <laughs> doesn't count. Anyway, uh, with our new format that we've been trying out for the new segment called Top 5, Michael Woods came to us with an idea to count something down in the advance of Rise of Skywalker. We Absolutely. thought it would be too hard to do a review of the film because it comes out right before break, and by the time we come back, uh, everybody will be on to something else. And a Top 5 of Star Wars, I mean, that deserves more time than a, a eight-minute news segment. Don't you agree? I agree. So we have a special episode for you. If you're not a Star Wars fan... You can sit this one out. It's not going to be for you. But if you are a big-time Star Wars fan, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff from the last 40 years of Star Wars. So sit back and get ready to geek out as we take you to a galaxy far, far away. Thank you for joining the Rebel Alliance. We're going to have our guests introduce themselves, state their grade levels, and then give us their level of expertise as a Star Wars analyst on a scale from Jar Jar to Jedi. The order is as follows. If you know nothing about Star Wars, you're a Jar Jar. If you know a little bit more than nothing, you're an Ewok. A little bit more than that, you're a Padawan. If you know quite a bit but not everything, you are the Emperor And if you are a master, you are, of course, a Jedi. To my left, introduce yourself, please. I'm Anna Kim. Uh, I'm a junior, and I would list myself as a Padawan. Hello there. I'm Michael Woods. I'm in 11th grade, and I would consider myself a Jedi master on Star Wars. Hello, I'm Christian Piper. I'm a sophomore, and I would consider myself an emperor. Hello, I'm John Kaczurek. I'm a sophomore, and I would consider myself a Padawan. I'm Mr. Zeisloft. Uh, I'm in 32nd grade, and I would consider myself an Ewok slash Padawan. I'm Mr. Halp. As always, I am here, and I would consider myself a Palpatine. Not quite full-blown emperor, but close enough. I would also put myself on the level of an emperor. I am Mr. Castagna. Uh, I teach English, and I'm hosting this podcast. Uh, there are certain areas of the Star Wars canon that I don't particularly like or I'm not uh, that knowledgeable about, so I'm not quite a Jedi, but I would consider myself an Emperor. And now we're going to count down our top five moments from the Star Wars canon in advance of Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, starting with Anna Kim. Okay, so my number five moment is Chewie We're Home from The Force Awakens. Good choice. Yeah, I remember so. that was really catchy in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts on Chewie, We're Home, spoken by Han Solo? 
You know, I really felt it was a great way to introduce the characters back into the franchise. Well, honestly, what I was afraid of going into The Force Awakens was that it would be pure fan service. So, you know, they find Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon at the same time. But I thought it was an interesting idea to kind of split it up, have Rey and Finn find the Millennium Falcon, and Hansel and Chewbacca come on to it later, which kind of makes it like their own ship, in a sense. All right, on to Michael Wood's number five moment from Star Wars. So for my number five, from everyone's favorite part of the franchise, the prequels. Ooh, don't get Zizloft helping me started. All right, I'm going to have to go with the battle over Coruscant and the duels with Grievous and Dooku in the opening to Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, who are those guys again? I don't even remember. How can you forget everyone's favorite four-armed, lightsaber-wielding robot-slash-android? Wow, you just described everything I dislike about the prequels, but go on. <laughs> you know, what really sells the scene for me was just what a great, captivating intro it was. I mean, we've sit, we've, uh, how do I put this, sat through about hours of politics in the first few movies. So finally having, like, a good action sequence to start it off really sells it as the best prequel. Still, still I don't think that that's um, as, as good as some of the other stuff that we've seen. I, I just dislike the prequels to begin with. On to Christian Piper. So my fifth was Baby Yoda uses the Force in the Mandalorian. Oh, come on. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, come on. <laughs> I know. Some of us are not up to date on that yet. You rank yourself an emperor and you don't know about Baby Yoda? I know of Baby Yoda. There's a statute of limitations on spoilers, and that was in, what, the second episode of The Mandalorian? First. Yeah. Which first, first episode first. of The Mandalorian? Which, which was how long ago? Weeks ago. Yeah. Two? Three. Three? Three. Three. Okay. I just know about him from all the memes on I also have Baby Yoda uses the Force as my number five. I wanted to mix it up and not pick everything from the original trilogy. And my daughter loves Baby Yoda. So it's pretty interesting. If you follow online, there's a shortage of Baby Yoda merchandise because they were not prepared for it. And the stuff they did come out with looks like it's bootleg swag. Nobody wants it. <laughs> but it's cool seeing Baby Yoda uh, realizes... His powers, her powers, do we even know the gender of Baby Yoda? No, I don't think so. But uses its powers uh, to save the Mandalorian during this, during this battle with like a rhino-type creature. Do you remember the technical name? Uh, no, I'm not no, sure. No, because you're not a no, Jedi. I'm not, I'm not a Jedi. I don't <laughs> no. On to John Kachurik. All right, so I'd have to say my number five moment would be from Revenge of the Sith in which Yoda fights Darth Sidious. Well, that one I do remember. Any thoughts on that? You know, I hate to sound controversial, but uh, honestly, that scene always came off as a little cheesy to me. I mean, we see the Emperor literally throwing the Senate at Yoda. He's moving around the chairs and everything. I think he does a flip at one point, and how old is he supposed to be in this scene? Yeah, if you think of Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi, I mean, he was basically just swaying back and forth. <laughs> that was all he had left in his old age. Uh, we are led to believe that now because we can show it through special effects that Jedis are actually more powerful than that when they're old. I don't know. It was just something about the 720 flip that Emperor Palpatine does towards Mace Windu and then the eventual Yoda finally dropping his cloak and showing his true power that got me interested in it. Mr. Zizloft, your number five. My number five moment is also from Revenge of the Sith and it was when Obi-Wan is fighting Anakin. Um... I like the scene. I like to see Anakin at the end lying there helpless on the ground, burning almost to death. That's because he didn't have the high ground. Good lord. He did not have the high ground. And that's, that's a general knowledge thing that everyone has from a young age. You know, if you don't have the high ground, you do not start a fight. And once someone has a high ground, you back away from the fight. It's just common knowledge. Again, the rules that govern Jedi battles mystify me. All these things they can do, the backflips, the double-sided lightsabers... 
Uh, they can throw things with their mind, and it just comes down to who has the high ground. <laughs> Mr. Halp, your number five. My number five is when the lightsaber goes to Ray. I have that as my number awakens. two. Very compelling moment. Yeah, Tell I, us about that one. I, I really love the way that you, we weren't really sure who that lightsaber was actually going to fly into the hand of. We're led to believe it's going to be Kylo, and of course, it flies right by his face into Ray's hand. She lights it, and now it's on. The music swells. You know she's special, and it's this chill-invoking moment. Absolutely. All right, on to number four is Anna Kim. Okay, so my number four is the Imperial March that comes on when the Emperor arrives in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, that's my number two moment in my list. I thought that was a great scene as well, so great choice. Very memorable. Michael Woods, number four. All right, for my number four, also from The Mandalorian, I'm going to have to go with the end of episode three, the battle for the baby slash the other Mandalorians join the fight. Okay, so that's where it looks like our Mandalorian is down (laughs) for the count. He and baby Yoda, completely done for. They have lost, and then the tribe of Mandalorians show up to help him, even though they'd had a dispute earlier in the episode. Uh, What's the phrase the Mandalorians use? This is the way. Yes, and, be, and that's why they show up, because they realize that even though they've had a disagreement as a tribe, this is the way we help so one another. So just to be clear, the guy who defines himself as a master Jedi is choosing one of his number four scene ever in Star Wars as a scene from this show. I, I'm just, I'm having, I find it hard to believe. I can't really get my mind around that. You know, the beauty of the scene, I've seen it described in this way, is it's like playing with Star Wars action figures. Suddenly 20 Boba Fetts come in and start attacking all the other bounty hunters. I, mean, I guess I have to watch it, but again, it's three weeks old, so or the first, maybe it's four weeks. Maybe. I think the term Zeisloft is referring to is recency bias, and because it's fresh <laughs> in your mind, you make it out to be something more incredible than it is. Let me tell you, when I walked out of The Phantom Menace, I looked at my friend and I was like, that was cool. And 20 years later, I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> I, guess, uh, I guess you're right about the recency thing, and the other way I take it is... Uh, we haven't been seeing the greatest live-action content for the past few years, so it was a nice change of pace. Fair enough, okay. Good point. We do have to recognize that The Mandalorian is far more than just a competent Star Wars show. It's very, very good. Oh, yes. On to Christian Piper, number four. My number four was um, the fight between Count Dooku, Anakin, Obi-Wan, and eventually Yoda. It was, uh, it was interesting to see, if you were watching them in chronological order, um, in the Phantom Menace, Yoda really was just, um, he seemed like some old Jedi train, like Jedi Master, but um, he really shows his talent in the fight against Count Dooku. So you like it for the evolution of uh, what we see Yoda able to do? Yeah. All right. You got to love Yoda. John Kachurik, number four. Okay, for my number four, as it was mentioned before, it was when Obi-Wan fights Anakin on Mustafar, but I think I'll add on top of that that it was a really impactful scene, especially seeing these two that were so close for so long suddenly now turning on each other. It really brought about how impactful the turn of Anakin to the dark side was. Yeah, that was my number two as well. Okay. Mr. Zizloff, your number four. Mine is when uh, Luke, um, in, a, in A New Hope, when Luke destroys the Death Star. Um, uh, Michael Woods, give us a uh, ruling on that one. Let's go with the Death Star trench run. There you trench go. Run. Like yeah, just you know, he's he's trying to line up his shot, and and uh, Obi Wan, you know, his voice appears to just use the force, and he uses the it force. And it works. It's successful. Trust your feelings. Trust, yep. yeah, right. yeah, powerful moment. 
Very memorable. Mr. Hop, number four. Number four, when Yoda lifts the X-Wing out of the Dagobah swamp. Number four. Good choice. We finally, I don't think up until that point in the movie sequence, we've really seen what the power that the Force holds, what you can do, regardless of your size. Yoda's preaching it to Luke, but until that exact moment, small think I am, right? But that, that he's, he just shows how good the Force is, and I love that scene. Yeah, up to that moment, I think the extent of the Force uh, has been shown as you can run through the swamp with a tiny gremlin on your back and right. do flips That's over logs. Right. And maybe disappear if yeah, someone swings at you. Yes, yeah. Yeah, you become a Force ghost. My number four is uh, from Empire Strikes Back. It is Frozen in Carbonite. It's a really powerful moment, uh, all of it, uh, from the final words from Han to Princess Leia. Uh, the bounty hunters are all there. You don't know if Han Solo is going to live through the freezing in Carbonite. Um, and even the exchange between Han Solo and Princess Leia, it's not very Me Too, but it's very Han Solo. <laughs> I love you, I know. And there's a great story behind that that the script was just, I love you, I love you too. It didn't sound right coming out of Han Solo's mouth. And they said, just... Just, just clear your mind and do it. He came out with, I know. And then there's the great turnaround in Return of the Jedi when he says, I love you to her, and she says, I know. That's my number three. That's absolutely my number three. It was the next one up on my list. The other interesting fact, a uh, little bit about that sequence I've always enjoyed was the colors are, like, phenomenal in that scene. We have, like, bright oranges and bright blues. It's nothing like anything in the movie up to that point. We've had, like, the gray asteroid field, the white plains and snow of Hoth, and then it just stands out. It's, like, iconic. Couldn't agree more. Everything in Cloud City is just burned in my imagination. You're like, I can just see it so clearly. Everything's so distinct right, and right. unique. From the clean lines upstairs to the dark and dingy smoke, red smoke in the, in the, the lower portions. All right, Anna Kim, number three. Okay, so my number three from our favorite, The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Baby Yoda uses the Force. Okay, so we've gone through that one. Anything you want to add? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael Woods. The only criticism I have about the Baby Yoda thing was, I know they purposely hit it for marketing purposes in, like, the early trailers. And when I saw the early trailers, I assumed it would be kind of a series of just the Mandalorian going around collecting bounties, kicking butt across the galaxy. But now... I don't want to say disappointed, because I am enjoying the Baby Yoda plot line. However, I, I did look, I was looking for more of an action-based, episode-by-episode, villain-of-the-week type feel to it. It does kind of limit what the Mandalorian can do, considering he's carrying a baby around <laughs> yeah. with him. That's a valid point. What is your number three, sir? My number three would have to be the cantina sequence from Star Wars A New Hope. Oh, the cantina scene is incredible. I mean, so iconic. Uh, as I say it, we can all hear the music. So many weird-looking aliens. What were they drinking? Effect. What were they drinking? Yeah. You know, so many logistical questions about that bar. There's no way, this is going to get a little gross, there's no way all of those aliens defecate the same way. <laughs> so what must the bathroom look like? Like, it can't just be standard human-sized stalls. Uh, what do they all do? they all drink the same things? I don't know. I don't know. Say more about it, Michael. What do you got? You know, the other uh, great part about that scene is there's just so much going on in the whole sequence. I mean, we have Obi-Wan cutting, I think, Panababa's arm off at one point. Did you rank yourself as a Jedi Master? You did, right? Yes. Yeah, deservedly so. Nobody knows that guy's name. <laughs> I think he's in Rogue One, too. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we got that going on. We have Han Solo in the back with Greedo, which 
of course, has some issues as a scene. Let's not talk about that at all. The less said, the better. How many times have they reshot that? Who shot shot it first is the question. I think Han Solo, uh, Greedo, still shoots first now in the latest revision. The latest, latest one, the Disney Plus edition, is they shoot at the same time and Greedo yells something. But but he speaks it in Greedo language. We don't know what it is. All right. Moving on, Christian, number three. Now, Michael already specified this, but um, my number three was General Grievous and Obi-Wan. Um, I'd like to add that I, I really liked General Grievous having the four lightsabers and being able to wield them all at once. Um, Darth Maul had wielded two lightsabers before, but it was, it was interesting to see the four. I don't know. Uh, we lovers of the original trilogy, what do you think of that? I mean, yeah, four lightsabers is kind of cool, but when in three moves he lost three arms, it wasn't that cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a little weak. I, I, just, I really don't like the idea that this is set 30 years before the other movies, but the technology is better. It doesn't make sense that, that suddenly we would have a, a four-armed android that could do this, and we didn't see anything like that 30 years later, 30 years into the future. In, in addition to that, about the whole Obi-Wan and Grievous sequence, after their duel, things kind of go off the rails. I think Grievous rides, like, a unicycle, and Obi-Wan chases oh, yeah. him with, like, oh, yeah. with, like, a lizard or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That escalated quickly. <laughs> All right, John Couture, okay. number three. My number three would have to be from The Empire Strikes Back when Luke has to escape the Wampa on Hoth. Good one, right in the beginning. Yeah. Such an Great. interesting scene because of how, when you think in context... So much that comes after him escaping this giant, basically, what would we call this? Uh, Yeti, I guess? Sure. Space (laughs) Yeti. After escaping the Space Yeti, so much occurs. He has to destroy the second Death Star and everything that occurs in the sequels, all because he could have just died there if he didn't escape. Yeah, crucial moment. Uh, And then he has to, Han finds him and has to cut open his Tauntaun so they can survive inside. One of the nastiest scenes in all of Star Wars. Mr. Zeisloff, your number three. All right, so my number three, and when I made this list, I was thinking about, like, as a kid, what I enjoyed the most about Star Wars. So I have this on now as number three, and it's it's from Return of the Jedi when Admiral Akbar says it's a trap. Um, and I think back to that whole scene I really enjoyed. Um, I think now as an adult, I like that scene even more, again, because of the memes that come from it. Um, I've used yeah. it in class multiple times with It's a Trap in my relationship with my, my Mongols video that we show. Um, so I really like that scene, but I probably would, if I had to do it again, wouldn't make my list. So I don't want to waste everyone's time with talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hop, your number three. I've done my number three already. It's the Carbonite scene in All right. Empire. My, I don't know if anybody else has this one. My number three is from Rogue One, and it's at the very end. It's one I call Vader Unleashed. And it's when, after all this time, we finally get to see the true extent of Darth Vader's power. He boards the ship and just carves through soldier after soldier after soldier using his lightsaber, the force, whatever he has at his disposal. Great moment. That's my number one. I got to agree with you. I, I feel like even though it was a... Uh we knew of his powers of his strength but to see the light like when it's dark and you hear him breathing and then his lightsaber comes on and the lights appear I thought the scene was so awesome then his fighting was ridiculous and he was so close to getting the plans um, and then the, the, the plans kind of slip through and, and, and there the ship the ship is released and off they go but yeah that was a pretty, pretty nice scene in my opinion as well and then there were two moving on to Anna Kim give us your number two okay so my number two is from The Last Jedi and it is when Luke and Leia reunite Ah, 
yes. I had to look this one up. I saw Last Jedi once, was not a big fan, and didn't remember this <laughs> moment. Why did you pick it? Um, I, I thought it was really heartfelt. Like, because, I don't know, I think most of mine are more towards, like, me, like, with my like, feelings picking it. Like, I chose Baby Yoda because he's just really adorable. Emotional moments. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, I don't know, I thought, because I think... I don't exactly remember, but when I first watched it, I saw, like, tears filling your eyes, and I thought, like, that kind of, like, broke me. I nice. <laughs> All right. Michael Woods, your number two. My number two would be That One's Garbage slash the Millennium Falcon intro into The Force Awakens. Nice. Yeah. I Good. think I mentioned earlier that I was afraid they would overdo it with The Force Awakens, and that's why I love this intro so much, because it's so simple. We don't even see the Millennium Falcon until they go in it. It's just off-screen referred to as the garbage. Very good call. It's a memorable moment. Christian Piper. My second one was Obi-Wan and the Anakin fight on Mustafar. Um, so we talked about it a bit. Yeah. Anything you want to add? Not really. I think it was just such a big turning point in the series. Right. John Kachurik, your number two. Uh, my second was also already mentioned. It was the trench run on the Death Star from A New Hope. I'm not going to be too long on this. It's just such an impactful moment from the very first movie that people have seen. The whole putting the headset away, trusting the Force completely and such an important moment that saved the rebellion. Mr. Zizloff, your number two. Mine is the Imperial March music that was brought us with Empire Strikes Back. I believe I read that it was the first, in Empire Strikes Back for the first time that it actually it played. I believe that's the first movie that it actually came out on, but again, I thought the music, I think music and shows, music and movies gives a lot of meaning to me, so. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. I can often remember a scene most because of the music. Well, it's John or, Williams. I John mean, Williams. You put John incredible. Williams' score behind anything, and it sounds amazing. I'm going to talk about that with my number one. But what's your number two, Mr. At number two, from Empire Strikes Back, Luke, I am your father. Oh. What I mean, a plot twist. The plot twist of all plot twists. Absolutely, number two. That's my number one. Okay. That's my number one. <laughs> That's another reason I dislike the prequels. Because it kills the greatest plot twist in history. You literally watch Luke's father grow up in order, give birth to Luke, and then years later reveal that he is his father. So if you watch them chronologically now, you don't get the benefit of that twist. That's why you don't watch it chronologically. I was going to say, I, I made a mistake with my kids and my son watching like one, two, three, four, and, and I thought the younger Anakin would be more like the... the I thought it would be better for him. As about a 10-year-old kid, yeah, right? Yeah, it was, like it was a bad, bad mistake. Bad parenting on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it was so impactful, a plot twist, that now it's no longer a spoiler. It's just become an anti-spoiler. Whenever someone jokes about spoilers, they say, Darth Vader is Luke's father, because everyone knows it, it's because it meant so much. It's the classic spoiler. It's the classic twist. <laughs> no! That's not possible! All right, I said my number two was the lightsaber goes to Rey. We went over that already. Let's go around one more time. Anna Kim, what is your number one? Okay, so my number one is what Mr. Hop said for his number two, the No, I Am Your Father from The Empire Anything you want to add to our discussion about that? We talked about how if you watch it chronologically, it kind of ruins that twist. That twist, John said, is kind of ruined already. It's like your classic example of a spoiler. Anything you want to add? Um, well, I am a Darth Vader person myself, quite literally. Wow, can you expand <laughs> on that? I'm a little, are you going to force choke me right now? Um, well, so my parents named me after Darth Vader, since my name is Anna Kim. Oh my gosh! Wow! That's not possible! (laughs) (laughs) That is mind-blowing. It is, oh my gosh. So of course you have to pick that one. Yeah. Wow. The force is strong with this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, wow, that's an impressive number one, an impressive (laughs) connection to your number one. 
Michael Woods, can you top that? We'll see. I am going to have to go with Old Reliable, The Battle of Hoth from The Empire Strikes Back. It's a good one. Looks unlike anything else in the Star Wars pantheon. I guess uh, the other thing I've always loved about the sequence is it's kind of the first land battle we see in Star Wars. I mean, we start off A New Hope with some cool dog fighting and everything with the Death Star, but it's just such a striking visual, like the massive walkers and the tiny rebel speeders and everything, and eventually taking them down with tow cables, which is just... <laughs> it's provides. just such a great... It's a great image. I've always loved that. Scene. It's the same thing with the Ewoks and Jedi, using really basic tools to topple technology, and it's a real metaphor for the way those original three films were made. There was so much that George Lucas had in his imagination that he couldn't show through the existing technology, so they found little creative ways around it, and that's what made those movies so clever. Christian Piper, you're number one. All right, so my number one, unfortunately, has already been spoiled. Uh, the Yoda X-Wing lesson for Luke. Anything you want to add about it? I think it was so um, influential to see that, as long, that the Force is more about believing in the Force rather than having... Um, more power or size or any or anything else. Yeah, that's a good point. I think with uh, Mr. Zizlos pick of uh, the trench run, I think Anna, you had that one also. Somebody had that one also. Trench run was Zizlos the only one. Well, I had it as my second. Yeah. Okay, so um, I think I think yeah, it really emphasizes that it's about believing in the force, believing in yourself, and what you can accomplish, not how physically strong you are. John Kachurik, you're number one. Okay, I think I'd have to say for one of the most agreeable best moments that almost any Star Wars fan can agree on, I'd have to say from Return of the Jedi, when Vader sacrifices himself to save Luke Great and kills moment. Emperor yeah. Palpatine. Yes, definitely. I believe it was one of the most important moments to people that had just seen the original trilogy. It's when Darth Vader finally turned around, he came back to the light, he destroyed the Emperor. And he saved Luke in a moment where it almost looked hopeless at that point. Because even though Luke had become so powerful, Emperor Palpatine still had maintained so much the dark side. Very interesting. Mr. Zaslav. My number one choice has already been said too, but it was in Rogue One. It was the Vader massacre. I thought it was a yeah. great scene. Um, I will just add just very, very quickly that... Uh, as you mentioned, the Force and these things, as a history nerd, I do love to make correlations how um, how George Lucas used East Asian philosophies and religions to kind of tie to the Force. You know, as we, talk, we do an activity in my, in my classes talking about Taoism, how, like, the Tao and the way is the equivalent of the Force. And we talk about the connection to Buddhism and, like, detaching yourself from things that mean a lot to you. And so he uses, he uses so much East Asian philosophy and religion to incorporate that into how Jedi work Jedi life exists so again I'm not the Star Wars guy that many of you or girl that many of you are um, but I do think that was pretty cool to have the historical piece that I like to kind of add into the, the Star Wars aspect so Mr. Rapp do we go over your number one yet? No we haven't Here it is. and this surprises me uh, my number one is the line it's true all of it from The Force Awakens when Han Solo when they're going back and, and Rey is saying what she knows about this legend that has happened and, and again, I think bringing it back into the recent trilogy, just that particular moment when Han Solo is, is confirming everything that Rey has thought was just legend and unbelievable is actually true. It's true, all of it. It's one of the reasons I don't like Last Jedi. The themes reverse completely, and the lines are more like, forget the past, kill it. Really kind of looks like nobody's manning the ship as far as those three movies go and what the plan is. So I'm a little concerned for Rise of Skywalker, but optimistically so. And my number one, I said I would talk about the John Williams music. It's the moment 
that you get the gravity of Star Wars, the gravity of the storytelling, and the gravity of that music, Binary Sunset. Before Luke leaves Tatooine, he looks up at the twin suns, and John Williams' score really hits for the first time. You can find that online without that music, and it's completely emotionless. But with that music, it becomes a hero's journey. It's about this young man and all the potential he sees out there and the adventure that he's going to go on. And that young man becomes every young man and every young lady who invests years and years of their lives and their fandom into this series. So I thank you all for joining us. I hope you enjoy Rise of Skywalker. I hope it doesn't disappoint. May the Force be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.